First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 3, and then we're going to read verses 13 through 21. First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 3, and then 13 through 21. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy For I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, thanks for the opportunity to gather. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would encourage us with it. Comfort us with it, exhort us with it, and help us to be submissive and obedient to it. And give us your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What is it that you are accomplishing? Tim mentioned it this morning, but this week, since last Sunday... We had a life group gather in the evening. We had a food pantry on Tuesday out of the church. We had a prayer gathering on Wednesdays. We took a meal, a breakfast continental meal over to the Doomer School for the teachers over there. Yesterday we had the clothing pantry. Um, the teenagers went to uh, Dare to Share Friday night and Saturday night to... Well, what is the point of all these things that we are doing? It. What is it that we are... Accomplishing, what is it you're supposed to be accomplishing as a believer, as a follower of Christ? What's the point of all that activity and why are we do it? And why do we do it? Activity all has a purpose. And those are all good things that we have done as a church this week. But being nice is not the primary goal of why we do those things. Being good is not the primary goal of why we doing those things. The reason we should be doing those things is because we want to be God-glorifying and gospel-centered in all of it. And that's what 1 Peter is dealing with all the way through. It's one asking the question, what is it you're trying to accomplish with your life in difficult circumstances? Someone said that the book of 1 Peter is a manual for discipleship. It's a manual, a short manual on how. This is everything you need to know as a Christian, how to live, how to live out and accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish. It's an invitation, someone said, to adopt God's way of seeing things and to live accordingly. The Bible says we have three enemies. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the world system, the cosmos, the way things operate, the system that the world works in does not 
glorify God. That's not the purpose for the world. So we have to fight that. Our flesh, these natural desires to not do the things that you know you're supposed to do, we deal with. And the devil. The Bible says those are our three enemies. And it's easy in that battle to lose focus, to lose hope, and to keep accomplishing what you're supposed to be accomplishing for the right reasons. And then we can get disoriented. There's a senior college basketball player for Boston College this year that just finished his career. They lost. He was devastated. He's at the press conference. He's got all these questions coming at him. He's, 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 it's over. His career is done as far as college basketball goes. And so one of the people asked him, he was one of the best players Boston College ever had, and they asked him, um, what is it about playing for Boston College that you're going to miss? And he's just, he's crying, he's devastated, and he looks down, and the pressure's on, and he just comes up and he just says, going out to eat? It was the worst answer ever, and I think what he meant was the camaraderie of the other teammates. But in the moment when he felt like he had lost all hope, when he felt like he was disoriented, getting bombarded with all these questions, he was lost. He lost his focus. And First Peter, Peter is telling these Christians who, and telling us who are in difficult situations and struggle sometimes, he's encouraging us on this is how to live. And he moves now after the first number of Verses to say, now is this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you activate those things. When you want to know how to live in this hope that you've been given, this is how you do it. And the first thing he wants us to know is the way you accomplish what you're supposed to be accomplishing to glorify God is to activate your hope. It says in there, verse 13, therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, go back and see what it's there for. And what he's saying is, therefore, based on everything I just said up to these 13 verses, after everything I just expressed, which was just praise and blessing for the great salvation that we have, after all these things, he hasn't said one command yet. He hasn't given one imperative all the way through. He hasn't told these people anything of what they're supposed to do yet and he, until now. And he says, based off of this great salvation that you have that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for you, based on this amazing grace, based on this amazing salvation, based on all of that. Therefore, now, prepare your minds for action. And really the verb is, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Activate your hope, is what he says. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look, focus on the fact that it is true that Jesus is coming back. If you want to know what we're supposed to do, it's supposed to be focusing on that Jesus Christ is coming back. This momentary affliction that we're all dealing with right now, it's just that. It's momentary. It's not going to last forever. What we're supposed to be, therefore, hope is what he says. Therefore, hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back. This future promise, which Paul talked about in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, says, For the grace of God 
has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're supposed to be living for the future. He says, therefore, hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back and put your eyes and put your focus on that. 71 years ago Friday, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a great theologian, during World War II, was put in prison for his faith, and he was hung 71 years ago Friday by the Nazis for it, just a few days before the war was over in 1945. And right before they hung him, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his last words were this. He says, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. And now for the last 71 years, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is alive in heaven, glorifying God. His life began. And Peter says, listen, the momentary afflictions that we have, what we're supposed to be doing, is therefore because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, because of our great salvation, because of the condition that we are in as Christians, Now, therefore, hope in Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully in Jesus Christ, that he's coming back. Put your focus on that, that he is coming back for us. That this is temporary. He says, here's how you do it. How do you do it? He says, prepare your minds for action. Gird up your minds. It's what they would have said, which we don't make sense, but they used to wear long robes back then, and they would, to, to start moving, even the men, they would pick up their robes, tuck their robes in their belt, and so they could take off. We would say, roll up your sleeves and get moving. But he says, prepare your minds for action. This is how you set your hope on the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. You prepare your minds. It is not easier as you get older to do that. Just because some of you are getting closer to the end, I don't think it gets easier to do that. I think it gets sometimes harder to keep focusing that way. Because we think so much about this earth. And our families more. And we got to do this. And we got to accomplish this now. And Peter says, that's not setting your hope on Jesus Christ's return. So prepare your minds. Be active. This is, this is active stuff he's saying. Prepare your minds. Remove the rust. Focus your thinking. If you've been a Christian for years, and you feel like been there and done that, You're not living this out. Christians who are living this out don't think that way. They think, what can I keep doing for God? What can I, what else should I supposed to be doing? How can I focus my mind to be active? Prepare your minds. That's how you hope in Jesus Christ. And then he says, be sober. When you're drunk, you are out of control. You're, you're doing it to not live in reality. You want to do that to wash reality away for a few moments. He says, don't be like that. The way you set your hope on Jesus Christ is you gird up your minds, you think, and you prepare for action. You're thinking, and you're thinking, Jesus is coming back, so I've given a certain a lot amount of time. How should I use it? 
Not how I can conserve it and how can I prepare good things for me towards the end of my life or the middle of my life. How can I spend my life for Jesus Christ and be sober about it? Think in reality. Live in reality. It's clear thinking. When you are drunk, you're not thinking clearly. He says the way you do that is you be sober-minded, live clearly, roll up your sleeves in mental action. This is something we have to put ourselves to accomplish. I think one of the best examples of this that we would know of recently, September 11th, 2001, plane flying from somewhere to Pennsylvania, over to Washington, D.C. Todd Beamer and a bunch of guys realized that planes are going down all over, and there's people who are going to take this plane down too. Todd Beamer and a number of them Try to think what we could do. We'd already heard of accidents. And Todd Beamer famously says on the phone before they take that plane down that dives into Pennsylvania, he says, let's roll. The phone died. And they took that plane down because they were prepared for action. They had girded up their minds and said, something's got to be done. And they were thinking soberly. They knew exactly what they were doing when they do that. They were, they were living in a real reality. And they said, let's roll. That's what it means. They prepared their minds. Hoping in Jesus Christ, activating your hope, knowing what you're really supposed to accomplish, is that kind of thinking, setting your hope fully on this. It's a fight against unbelief, which we all struggle with. We all struggle every day with, really, do I really believe God? Am I really going to trust God? And Peter says, listen, Christians... Even when you are exiled, even when you don't have a lot, you're being persecuted. This is how you're supposed to live your life. You gird up your minds, you prepare your minds, you focus your minds, you live soberly in reality, and you roll, you move, you trust God. God delights in being trusted. He loves it when we trust Him. So what's a follower of Jesus Christ supposed to do? He's supposed to activate his hope, knowing that this is not the end. Jesus is coming back. It is sure. It's confident. And I'm going to live in light of that. I've got to think about that. I've got to prepare my minds in that. I've got to live in reality, be sober about that. And I've got to be actively doing that and trust God. And God delights in it. And as you activate your hope, as you do that, This is the first command. This is the first imperative that Peter is given. It's all based off of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. It's all based on the great salvation that we have been given. It's overwhelming what the inheritance that we have. And he says, based on all that, now do this. Activate your hope. And what does that demand then? And what does it produce? And he says this, it produces a transformed life. It produces and must be a part of change. And so Peter says, activate your hope. And then he would say, I would say, arrange your life for holiness. Verse 14, he says, don't be conformed, but as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Peter says in verse 3 that we are born again. It's like we're babies. He's uses the metaphor of being birthed. We're born again. And then he says we're children. And we have to learn this. And then he talks about us being his father. It's very relational, very familiar, family metaphors. But he says, arrange your life for holiness as obedient children. 
We all need to be rewired, is what he's saying. We, we come into this world with a view of life that the Bible says is futile and dead. And we need, as Christians, if you want to live as a Christian and follow Jesus Christ, well, then there's got to be a transformation that's taking place in your life. And there's a change. Your mind has to be rewired in how you think. And if you think differently, you'll be acting differently. The big word, theologically, is sanctification, but it just means rewiring. It means transforming, being changed. Jesus said it in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And he says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. And sometimes we hear the word holiness and we just say, well, I'm out. That just blows my mind. There's no way I can be holy like God is holy. And you're right. But what is holiness? Luke 10, 27 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, Jesus said, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Which was many ways what he said back in Deuteronomy, because the whole Bible is one big story about God's doing. And he says, what's holiness? Is that loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. He said, I can't do that. Left to ourselves, we can't. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. You've been given something. God's called you out. Holiness is being separated. It's, it's being set apart is what it means. It's being cut away from something to something else. It's God claiming you for himself. Don't be conformed to the p- p- passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy. So God's called us to this holiness. So when he's allowed us to be called to it, he's going to perform it in us, but we have to participate in it as well. You know, the first thing that Peter says a Christian is supposed to do after all the good things that God said to us, he's given us this great salvation, he's given us new birth, then the first thing he says when it comes to a command is he says no. He says, don't do this. Don't be conformed to your former ignorances. Listen, saying no is not a bad thing. Saying no sometimes can be the most loving thing that you can say to your kids or to situations. It was the first thing that God said after he said, here's your great salvation. Now, no, don't live this way. Live differently. Don't do certain things is what God said. Not because he doesn't care for us, because he loves us, but if you think that you can follow Jesus and not have your life changed, you're not trusting in Jesus. Your life is not, you're not following and trusting Jesus. God says no to, God says no to us so that he can say yes and yes and yes and yes to so many other greater things. It's the whole point of salvation. Taking us out of a situation, so we're supposed to arrange our life into holiness and letting God work in it and being actively agreeing with it. Your holiness, listen, is progressive. It doesn't happen overnight. It's, it takes a period of time. It's God's working a good, doing a good work in you. Your holiness is pro- progressive because God's holiness is perfect. What's it mean to be holy? It's mean to be like God. How is God? God is absolutely holy. We can't be like God, so he's got to work this in us, and it's a progressive thing. So if you're a Christian... And you're wondering, am I accomplishing what God wants me to accomplish in my life? Look at your life. 
Has there been transformation or is there been and is there transformation taking place? Are you different than you were? Are you more like Jesus Christ? Do you have greater desires to follow Jesus? Do you love his word more? Is your life different? What is it that you say no to? What is it that you say no to? It amazes me how many people follow Jesus and they say, yeah, I just can live however I want. I can live exactly how the world lives, and, but I still love Jesus. That's not how it works. There's no way that is how it can work. When we think about the great salvation and what it costs us, is your life changing? Have you seen growth in your life? Are you being transformed? Do you want to be transformed? Say, I want to go to heaven. If you want to go to heaven, but you don't want to be holy, you don't want God to work in your life, you don't want to go to heaven. You're going to be bored to death. Because that's where God is. That's where holiness is. All these things that you still want to do aren't going to be there. That's not how Christianity is. That's not how God set it up. Your holiness is progressive. It's a work that we do through God, that God does in us that we're engaged in as we look and see who Jesus Christ is and follow him. What does it look like then? How is it that to be pursued? What Peter says is, that's what we're called to. And you do it by conducting yourself according to your position. You you be holy. You realize, I'm a child of God. So I've been given this great blessing. So I'm going to act like I'm part of the family. I'm going to act like God would act. I'm going to act like my father. If God would not be a part of that, then I don't want to be a part of that. And we struggle in that. But just like disobedient children, we don't always follow our father perfectly. But the goal is to follow the father. The father. So you conduct yourself according to your position. That's what Romans 12 says. Don't be conformed to the ways of the world. But have your mind changed. It's a process that takes place. What you focus on, you become. And if you focus on God and desire him and go after him, you're going to be molded to be like him. But if you don't do that, you'll, what you focus on, you will become. He says, conduct yourself according to your position. And then continuing this transformation continues through the process. It's continue in the process where we, we go forward, we see things, we say no, we fail, we repent in faith, and we keep coming back. We continue in the process. Trusting Jesus means turning your life over to him which means transition must take place. It it has to be taking place. If there's no transition in your life, there's no differences in your life, you're not trusting in Jesus. That's just the way the Bible lays it out for us. But holiness is hard to see. Holiness is a community project, really. Because when you read the book of the Bible, 1 Peter, Peter says to these people, to those who are elect of the exiles or the dispersion, he lists a whole bunch of people. To this whole group of people, the book of 1 Peter was written. And then he uses the word you all the way through. It's not to one individual person. It's just to the whole collective you, to all of you in the faith. You, this great salvation has been given to you. You then are supposed to be do this. The idea is not that we all take our little Bibles, go off into a small room, and we try to become Christians and struggle on our own. It's collective. And in our society, especially in the West, we are independent people. We wanted to be doing it our way. That's not the way the Bible is designed. It's not Christianity. Christianity is a collective community of people following Jesus together. And you grow in holiness that way. 
Because I can look at Barbie, and I can say, Barbie, I've known you a long time, and you know, remember a few years ago, you struggled with this, and I can see this change in your life. Because she probably can't see that. And someone can come to me and say, Paul, I saw this in you, and now I see this, because I can see the growth in your life. That's how holiness is seen. So we need each other. You need to be collectively in the process. The Bible says that Jesus, the incarnation is that Jesus became one of us so that we could see what it's meant to look like to be a follower of Jesus as one of us. The incarnation means that he moved into the neighborhood so that people could watch him and see the change. It's a community project. So be very careful when you start to struggle, start to have doubts, start to not sure God's there, and you think, well, I'm just going to start pulling away from other Christians. I'm going to start pulling away from the church because it's just not doing it for me. That's not how you grow. When you're in those times, is when you move into the community even more. And you get around people even more. And you help ask other people to help you even more. It's a community project. Because transformation is an amazing thing. I wrote in the Wednesday Word this week about meeting a guy named Chris who runs Inc. 180, which is a tattoo shop in Oswego. And it's a ministry where former gang members or women from sex trafficking slaves, they get tattoos, they mark them. And to get out of that, Chris has a ministry where he covers their tattoos or he will remove them for free. So they've come out and their lives are being transformed. Instead of being marked by these ignorance of their past, they get a new transformation on their skin. And it helps encourage them and free them. That's what transformation should look like in your life. Instead of continuing in your former ignorance, Peter says, is there been change in your life? Are you changing? Are you seeing that change? That's what transformation takes place. So we have to arrange your life for holiness so you can see this transformation taking place and it will create more joy. And just in case you're not sure, Scott McKnight put some great questions out. How do I know what should is, I should do and what's holy and what's not holy? Which direction should I go? He says, ask yourself these three questions. Does, does this thing, does it conform to the character of God? Is it the natural outcome of a life that has benefited from the salvation of God to do this? Is this what would be the result of somebody who's following Jesus? And three, will it stand up to God's scrutiny in that final day when he ushers us into his glorious presence? Because what is true for us in our hope is that Jesus is coming back and judgment, the Bible says, is coming. We will stand before God and give an account of our lives and everyone will. And so as Christians then, how do we deal with that? We embrace the awe of an unhallow life, is what Peter says. He says in verse 17, And if you call on him as Father who judges, impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, which is reverent awe, throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. Nobody wants to live a hollow life. There's nothing worse than chocolate that's hollow. When they give you a big Easter bunny chocolate, and you're like, yes, and you open it up and it's hollow. No. 
Nobody wants a hollow life. Jesus is coming back. Judgment will come. And as Christians, we can embrace the awe of that, which should motivate us even to more holiness. Because we're going to stand before God. And as a Christian, he'll ask however he's going to do it. And it's not going to be because of our good works or our food pantry service or our clothing pantry efforts. It will only be because we can say, because Jesus Christ shed his blood for me and I believed and trusted in his righteousness and he covered me and made me new. And I'm in awe of that. And we will not have a hollow life. How do we do that? How do you embrace the awe of an unhallow life? You honor God. You honor God with your life. You, you give up things that are futile and part of your old ways is what he says. He says, don't conduct yourself in your ignorance. Don't live the same lifestyle that you lived before and embrace that and think there isn't a change. Focus on God and see life change. Focus on who God would have you be. Honor God and then honor the process. He says in this time of your exile, there's difficulties right now. There's hardships right now. These people are going through hard times. We're going through hard times. There's difficulties, but there's a process that God's working in you. He's going to perform it to the end. Don't quit on the process in the time of your exile and then acknowledge the price that Jesus prayed for you. It was an unbelievable price to rescue you from your sin. Unbelievable price to rescue you. But God did it with unbelievable grace because he wanted to. This Friday night, Alan Arms and I went up to Wheaton College to see Justin Dillenbach, who's a senior, and he's an art major, and so he had his, ma- his art exhibit for his major, uh, his senior project, and, and Justin is a potter, so he makes unbelievable pottery. And so we went up to see it, there's hundreds of people around, walking around, and, and we went to, Justin grew up in the church here, and we went to, walked up to him, and he was just beaming with excitement. He was, he is thrilled to show off his pottery. And he says, you can pick it up, you can hold it, you can look at it. And he was telling us all these things about it, how it was designed, how it was created. And the things about his pottery was good pottery, it's heavy. I picked some of his stuff up, these mugs, these cups, these, it was heavy, it wasn't hollow. This was solid stuff. And Justin delighted in it. I mean, he was beaming over it. He loved to show us the differences of all the different pieces. And brought him great joy. That's what God does for us. He is the potter of our lives. And as we follow him, God delights in us. He delights in us. He delights in it. Well, you know what? There was these years that they weren't really with me. So you see how their life has a little bit of a curve here. But I continue just to straighten it out. And I made them this beautiful thing. And that's what he's doing in your life if you're a Christian. He's working in your life in such a way that if you just let him continue to mold you and say, I will be moldable, I'll surrender my life. He's making this unbelievable design that is going to be heavy and weighty for all of eternity for glory. And God's going to delight over you as much as you delight in God. That's what joy is going to be in eternity. That's why Peter says, focus your hope on Jesus Christ. Set your mind on it. Arrange your life on it. Embrace it. It is unbelievable grace that we have been given. If you want to know what you're supposed to do, as a Christian, how to live your life, 
This is what it is. This is what Peter called us to do, and it's not because of us. It's all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, and he's rescued us from feudal existence. There's an old hymn called, And Can It Be?, that was written a number of years ago, and the last, the last verse of this talks about this. It says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Do you remember your feudal days without Christ? When you really had no hope? And you're looking for all kinds of things to fill that hope? The Bible says you were imprisoned. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And then the hymn concludes with, No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Behold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. That's joy. That's the living hope that God has called us to. That's what he desires for us. God has a great purpose for all of our lives, for eternity, a glorious future, that if we submit, put our faith in, focus, and follow him, there is great joy to be had. And it's all because of amazing grace. Is that your hope? Is your mind engaged in that? If not, ask the Holy Spirit to knock off the rust and focus on Jesus Christ. Let's pray.